Well, hello, hello. My name is Billy Diamond of the Branding for Entertainers podcast, and I'm really happy to be here with you today on this particular episode. And I'm so sorry. This is going into November, and this should have been an October episode, and I apologize for that. I just think being real is the best policy, and I'm just going to tell you right now that I have been under the weather and I've been trying to maintain the business of branding for entertainers with my clients and whether that's actually working with them and coaching with them or it's to build logos or it's to build their side of the business uh, or it's fabrication type of props and getting them out. That is the main priority. And I'm sorry that the podcast takes a back seat to that, but that is the reality of it, and that's the way that it is. And I have, as I said, I've been under the weather, and I've just been sleeping like crazy lately. And I don't know if it's a change of seasons. I don't know what it is, but something's going on in my world that I don't like, that I need to change. And you know what? Hey, guys, while I'm on that subject, isn't it great to know that we have the ability to Change. We have the ability within us, within our brain, within who we are, to actually make a change. And I, I, I am struggling to do that, but I am also striving to do that as well. So anyhow, welcome to another episode of the Branding for Entertainers podcast. In this particular episode, I didn't have a lot of time this month, but I wanted to bring something out of the closet, and that is my interview with magician Leslie McKinney, who is a Las Vegas magician who, man, this is the magician's magician episode. And maybe you're not a magician. Maybe you're some other form of entertainer. That's okay. You're also going to glean some great things on this particular podcast. Do me a favor. Stick around. Stay tuned. I'm not going to go way out on a limb because I feel like I'm talking in circles. And I feel like I'm in a little bit of a fog as I try to recover and get my composure together. Um, so let's do this. Let's get into this particular episode of the Branding for Entertainers podcast. <laughs> Leslie McKinney. Billy Diamond. <laughs> Guess what? You're on. Guess what, Mr. Show Pony? There you go. I'm on. <laughs> you're on. How am I doing? <laughs> you're you're doing great. <laughs> well, here's the cool thing about post-editing a podcast is I get to ask you anything and I can mix up our segments any way that I want. So I think the first thing that I would like to ask you, Leslie McKinney, is, is how did you get started in magic? Tell us about that route, a little bit about you first, and then we'll dive a little bit deeper and uh, about where you're at now. I'm a couple years older than you, but we kind of grew up in the same era. I started out doing ventriloquism for show and tell and doing shows at churches and schools. And I added magic because my ventriloquist act was only about five or seven minutes. So I wanted to give a little bit of length to my shows. And so I started doing, you know, magic. And uh, again, in 1974, when we saw Doug Henning, you know, all bets are off. That was like, that was my, my yeah. Xanadu, my destiny, you know. But um, when I was in junior high school in my drama class, my drama teacher, you know, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and my drama teacher had taught school with David Price III. Wow. And she says, I know of this gentleman in Brentwood, Tennessee, who's got a very large okay. magic collection. So I and, just have uh, to say, to for those him. magicians that I'm may like, not oh, know, maybe you're just a performing magician, or maybe you're an up-and-coming magician, you just don't know who that so name David teacher, Price Jr. Uh, is. I just want to say that it was significant in the history of magic because he owned uh, what we know as Egyptian Hall Museum, and it became the collection of Mike Caveney and also George Daly, which is a kind of a – George Daly is a, a stone's throw from me in in my area, actually. And so between the two of these guys, they, they now have this major collection. Let's get back into it. My father was not very cool about my you know, acting or magic aspirations. So my drama teacher 
uh, Mrs. Vivian Collier, picked me up at my house and drove me from Nashville to Brentwood, Tennessee. And that's the first time I met David Price and saw his beautiful collection. At that oh time, it was the world's largest uh, personal collection of magic, you know, memorabilia and, and posters. And there's all the Otis lithographs, you know, Thurston, Dante, oh my Alexander Herman, scrapbooks from Sokar. I mean, just every, he had some props from the Willard show after the fire. Oh my and, goodness. You know, I mean, it was such a great, a great moment. And one of the most profound things is, I said, you know, what do I do? I mean, do I join the IBM or the local magic club or, or Sam or what do I do? And he said, the most important thing you can do is take as much pantomime, dance, movement, voice, acting, take those classes, go to those schools that will serve you better as a magician. And wow. I, I think no, no greater words have wow. ever been spoken. And when you're a kid, if you have a little bit of encouragement from an adult who knows what they're talking about. That's all you need. I mean, I, yeah. I was just, I was high on magic fumes from, you know, for wow. years after that. D did you realize back in the day of, of like living there and then going to David Price's place? Did you, I, I knew it was or? special and it's not until like years later, um, that I realized how just stupid lucky I was in that, you know, I was born in Kentucky, grew up in Virginia, moved to Tennessee to Nashville. So there's David Price in Egyptian hall. And we had an amusement park called Opryland, where I worked for uh, five years. Wow. But I mean, that's really where you cut your teeth and you just crank out those shows day in, day out. And uh, then they had the National Network, and I worked uh, for a couple of game shows in the National Network, doing audience warm up and writing questions. And uh, it was just a great experience. But it's just so my luck has always been stupid good. And if I'd been educated or thoughtful, I probably never would have done it. But it just <laughs> happened organically. Uh, it's crazy because we hear that word organic or we hear organically or growing your brand organically or growing your show organically. Um, let me ask you this. Um, uh, you've done this for a long time. You've done this in Vegas. So, you know, how do you even pick material? That's a really good question, I think, is how do you do that? Yeah, isn't it amazing that a lot of the illusionists tend to gravitate towards the same five effects, you know? And and then I look at my Thurston books and reading about Dante and, you know, even Barclay Shaw and Willard. There's hundreds of illusions that have not been done for the public in over 50 years. And I, I say, when I open a show, if I'm like in Vegas, I go up and down the road and I watch every magic show. Mm -hmm. And then I go home and I make a list of all the effects, you know, comedy effects, in ones, illusions, everybody's doing. And then I make a list which has none of those things. So there's enough stuff out there where we don't have to duplicate anybody. Yeah. Yeah. But but you still do classics though, right? I mean, you have well, you do a you little have bit. classics I, I in your you know, shows as well, though, right? I mean you have to satisfy the anticipation of the audience, and they expect you to make a pretty girl float in the air. And they expect you to cut somebody in half. Ladies and gentlemen, sawing a live woman in half. And, you know, something with a bunny rabbit or a duck. I think if you can hit those points, mm -hmm. I think they're like, oh, okay, now I've seen a magic show. Close your eyes and sleep. And we always do a part that's kind of a tribute to, you know, Dante or Jack Wynn or one of those guys. You know, we say, here's magic that maybe your, your parents or your grandparents may have seen. We do a barrage, kind of an homage to that, mm -hmm. and then we get on with you know the other the other part of the show. Which, by the way, on a whole different note, we're talking classic illusions and things like that. Isn't it, isn't it cool to think about that? We hit the 100 year mark of sawing a woman in half, right? 1921, 2021. That's that's that's, that's amazing. Uh, well, and, and I, I think about people, I say, what well, you know, your favorite illusion, and I've got a lot of modern tricks and illusions, but I still gravitate towards my old thin model sawing mm. that I've had for over 30 years. That's your favorite out of the sawing? I, I With the really thin model? Okay. Yeah. All right. So I have to interject and just say that my favorite would absolutely be the Alan Wakeling sawing. And I can't think of anybody better than Mark, Kalen, and Ginger. Hold tight! Mark, what if I change my life? No! Both people, absolute sweethearts. Back to the story. We opened the Casino Magic back in 19... 
97, and Fred Becker was on Maury Povich, and he exposed a lot of magic Just a quick interjection here to say that it was not my friend Fred Becker who did the expose on the Maury show. The gentleman's name was actually Herbert Becker. So uh, just a correction there in that I don't think Leslie realized who he said when he said it, but I know he knew who he meant. So anyhow, let's go back to this. One of the illusions he exposed was the thin model sawing. Before our show began, Herbert treated our audience to one of the classic illusions, the old saw the girl in half trick. And uh, we went ahead and went to uh, Casino Magic, and I was in the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. And I went ahead and performed it, and nobody ever said, oh, I saw how that worked on TV, or you're not fooling anybody, because people applaud and laugh in the, the right places. And yeah, I think if you just entertain entertain the lot of the audience and do it with a lot of humor and respect, they don't care. That's the key, right? Entertainment value. I- oh, I, I agree. And I, I think of magic exposure, you know, I mean, it goes back to the 1920s and 30s with Camel cigarettes, you know, exposing the lady out of the cannon and mm-hmm. the sawing in half, you know, like the P.T. Selbit version. But ultimately, it's like the Marvel Comics movies that come out, seems like every week now. And part of the press junket, when you see it on Entertainment Tonight or they're doing the Ballyhoo for the new Marvel film, they always show you the, the behind the scenes. This car crash during the Shang-Chi bus fight was real and filmed on location in San Francisco. Which includes the, shots we the green screen and the wires holding Superman up or Spider-Man or whatever Australia. they're doing. Right. But still people go to the movies and it breaks all box office records and people are entertained, which is proof that people really don't care how it's done as long as you entertain the lot of them. Yeah. How many years have you performed now, Leslie? Oh, I, I would say over 40 over 40? Okay. What I'm hearing from you is they don't they don't give a shit about anything other than the fact of I just want to get out of my element for a little bit. I want to be entertained and I want to have fun. You know, everything in our business has to do with intention and desire. And if you're like in Willy Wonka, the kid got the golden ticket because he had a pure heart. He just wanted to entertain or he wanted to, you know, be a, a good kid. And that's why he got the candy factory. And, you know, if that's your intention is just to entertain people and do good, you'll be a great, you know, onstage personality. You know, if you have the, the, the charisma, the personality, you know, the magic should come secondary, you know. And I think some of the problems with the younger magicians, and the modern day wonder workers is they buy a $40,000 trick box and they roll it onto the stage. <laughs> and guess what? It looks like a $40,000 trick box. Yeah. And then you look at old film footage of Blackstone Sr. and the Masters, Willard, and yeah. you know their props yeah. were beat up, plywood, yeah. eight inches of you know lacquer mm-hmm. paint, loose casters, <laughs> splinters, so on and so on. But there's something about those guys that made it look like they were really doing the magic. And that's why magic had uh, a renaissance with, with Doug Henning, because you know magic had gone to cabaret and nightclubs and birthday parties for about 20 years. And then along comes Doug Henning, and it's, it made the public think, my God, there's a chance this could be real magic. He's really transporting you somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's that's the secret of the whole thing is like, my, is he really doing the magic? Yeah. Did you know Doug? Had you ever met Doug in your career? I never met him, but I have yeah. a couple of his props. And um, uh, I just saw John Harrison, who wrote the, the biography. Uh, a couple weeks ago and you know when john harrison was living in new york he came to visit vegas with his parents back in the i guess late 70s when doug was at the hilton and he would interview him between shows and he had like a cassette tape player where he would record these interviews and the the fellowship and the um just the welcoming young a young magician backstage and just you know here's how this works and here's this and just telling him the story it's quite remarkable. And, wow. you know, we just, we, we need to have more of that today, I think, particularly for the younger magicians. Where do you see yourself fitting in on that? I mean, you have done this just about as long as I have. What do you think your responsibility is in mentoring or, I don't know, maybe that's a presumptuous word, but what do you see? I was at a church camp when I was about 10 or 11 years old, and there was a ventriloquist performing. 
And after the show, I went up to him and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I love your, your figure. And where'd you get your puppet? And you know, the, did you buy the dialogue book from Mayor Ventriloquist Studios? Blah, blah, blah. And this guy completely dissed me, completely shut me down. And I was just, I was just mm-hmm. heartbroken. So I promised that no matter how tired I was, you know, because sometimes you're doing a show where you're driving two hours and you set the show, and there's no rehearsal and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But I always, no matter how tired or where, wherever I am, if there's somebody who wants me to show them a trick or, or better yet, they want to show me a trick, I'll spend the time with them. And about 25, uh, I guess, whatever, whatever 1993 would be, I was on American Family Cruises and I do a little magic class for the kids. And this one kid was really just enamored with magic. He really had the, the desire. And he had a deck of cards, and he was showing me some stuff he was working on. And I gave him like a two-card Monty and maybe a Spengali deck. I just said, here, practice. You know, I made him a list of the books, you know, the, uh, Mark Wilson, Course in Magic, or Harlan Tarbell, you know, all the classics. Sure. And so a couple years ago, he, he, he found me through my uh, uh, website. And he showed me his video and he's doing like big stage illusions and uh, had Rand Woodbury helping him wow. out. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, wow. I just, you know, it's like the next generation. So that's I was like, really. That's awesome. Isn't that an awesome yeah, feeling? Yeah, absolutely. Though, where it's like, hey, I was a mentor to somebody else. And, and you weren't trying to be. You were just being a genuine human who, you know what? Here, Here's the cool part. At the end of the day, we're we're all human and you have a talent. You have an amazing talent. and what do you, what do you do with that? And I think it's really super cool when you can take that and share it with other people and inspire them. And that's exactly what started my road down the path in magic. And as a career, it was a magician who inspired me, somebody that I could talk to and somebody who would mentor me a little bit. Um, but I'm sorry you had that experience. I want to go back to that really quick about that bad experience that you had with that performer at that church camp. And I'm so sorry that you had that. And I just think it's important, you know, even as professionals sometimes, um, listen, this is a really and can be a discouraging business. Um, and it can really, you know, bring you down, right? Everybody wants to run away and join the circus. And we're lucky in that we can do, uh, we're basically in the circus. We have a very, we're following our, our life's journey and our bliss. And we're lucky to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. But I will say this about being an independent contractor and entertainer is our whole lives are always like, you know, a booking here, slow period, two months here, a month off work. I mean, the ups and downs and perils are mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. we all suffer through. Sure. My sister has worked as a dietary uh, manager at a hospital for 17 years, and another corporation got the hospital, and she lost her job and her benefits and everything. And 17 years, it's like, well, God, what do I do? You know, wow. I said, honey, it's, my whole life is like that. Yeah. I'm always trying to figure out the what, angle, what your next step the is, next yeah. booking, mm-hmm. how to rebrand myself, how mm-hmm. to work in this venue, how to do this, how to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We always we always have to be uh, resourceful, and you know we have to rebound all the time. That's our life. Yeah. And there's a, a great documentary that Dick Newton put out about the life of Mandrake, Leon Mandrake, and Mandrake in this documentary is being interviewed at the Magic Castle by Peter Pitt, and Mandrake says, "Look, you know, it's it's our life. It's you know we chose this lifestyle." He says, "Sometimes you're going to be like at the Taj Mahal and be treated very well." And sometimes you're eating cold beans, you know, sleeping in your car. <laughs> That's true. You know, it's all That's about so how, true. You know, oh my there's gosh. Ups, and the, you know, the problem I think is a lot of magicians will never confess. <laughs> and I realized about marketing or your whatever image, but you know, there's a lot of, you know, hungry times and downside to what we man. do, yeah. you know, yeah. and I'm not, I'm, I'm talking to your listeners here or performers, you know, when you're talking to the ticket buying public or, uh, you know, an agent or a manager. Yeah. You want to kind of embellish your stories a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, the truth is it's, it's not an easy journey that we're on, Yeah. but you know, yeah. by God, I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, yeah. to meet, you know, I get to meet you, uh, you know, the, the movie stars and country Western stars and circ performers and, you know, all my wives I met doing magic. I mean, it's, it's been good. It's an amazing ride for sure. 
I, I, I just got stuck. I just got stuck where you said, all my amazing wives. <laughs> wives, all my amazing wives. I'm, I'm back at that line. That's where I'm at. So... Uh, How else yeah, I, I, I don't girls. even know what else to say to that, Leslie. We can skim <laughs> over that or we can address it, whatever you want we, to we, do. We call that a showstopper. Uh, <laughs> that is definitely a showstopper. <laughs> uh, that's my nervous laugh right there. I think it's a good time to go to a commercial break and we can talk about some other important things. And we'll be right back with Leslie McKinney right after this. Hey guys, I want to talk to you really quick about a podcast that I've been listening to over the last couple of weeks called The Professional Magician. Don't let the name fool you because this is really about show business. My new friend, Chris Johnson, is amazing. Not just an amazing podcaster, but here again, I don't want to pigeonhole this by saying magician or professional magician podcast. I don't care what kind of business you're in in the entertainment industry. You're going to glean so much from this podcast as Chris interviews different people in the industry. Here again, specifically magicians or different uh, school entertainers, things like that. However, I promise you, you're going to get so much good content as you listen to it. And by the way, I'm also going to be on an upcoming episode of the podcast as well, but that's neither here nor there. What I'm really excited about is that Chris and I are going to be working together, but that's a little bit of a secret for now. I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag just yet. (laughs) But here's what I will tell you is that aside from being a school assembly entertainer, Chris is an amazing, amazing copywriter, and anybody who knows what I do, and we talk here on the podcast about your visual, verbal, and virtual brand, well, I'm really good at the the visual side, and here's what I do know. Chris is amazing at the verbal side, whether that's your website or even writing copy for your show or whatever that looks like, or your EPK. You don't know what an EPK is? That's your electronic press kit. He's really amazing at really formulating that so that he speaks the volume for you and he gets to kind of know you. And I'm a little all over the place. I sound like a crack monkey. I'm sorry. But my friend, Chris Johnson, go check him out and go check out the Professional Magician Podcast, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. In the meantime, let's get back to our episode. I, I, I just got stuck. I just got stuck where you said, all my amazing wives. <laughs> wives, all my amazing wives. I'm, I'm back at that line. That's where I'm at. So... Uh, How else yeah, I, I, I don't even know what else to say to that, Leslie. We can skim <laughs> over that or we can address it, whatever you want we, to we, do. We call that a showstopper. Uh, <laughs> that is definitely a showstopper. <laughs> I don't even know where I'm heading at this point now because that's all I heard. <laughs> but uh, no, you are you are right, though, that it's, it is <laughs> – sorry. <laughs> 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 oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> I don't know like whether, I don't know whether to question you more or just continue yeah. on like it never happened. <laughs> well, look, the final analysis is this, you know, you've had a very mm. blessed life and your electricity is charged by helping and mentoring I, I and love consulting it. other people. I, I, I love it's, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really been yeah. a, a yeah. blessing. And then yeah. that you're getting out there on the road again and working yeah. and doing that. It's just we're very lucky to be able to do this. Like I said, everybody wants to run away and join the circus. Yeah. And I'm dealing with Fortune 500 executives and people who make a hell of a lot of money than I do. And they're just like, they think it's so cool that you just, you know, oh, you, you're going to build a prop today. You're, you know, yeah. you're going to, you know, this is what yeah. you do. It's just so yeah. wild to them. Yeah. You know, isn't, isn't it something though, too, that, you know, there, there are a lot of people out there that'll bullshit you. Uh, especially as entertainers, it's really easy to say, Hey, and especially as magicians, you know, we, we don't want, we don't want to give across a false perception of what is really happening in our lives or whatever. And, you know, to me, yeah, I mean, you don't have to go out there and tell everybody everything, but at the end of the day, you definitely have to face the mirror and you have to be able to look into it and say, you know what, I'm a, I'm a real person. And, you know, Hey, if you can bullshit the crowd, bullshit the crowd, that's fine. But can you look in the mirror and say, you know what? I'm the real me at the end of the day. 
And I think that's what I've seen over the years of so many people that have gotten maybe to a point of success where they they just don't know. They don't know how to they don't know how to go through any of that because they just think it all has to be a facade or they think it all has to be bullshit and it it, it doesn't, you know? It just just be you, I think is the key. Listen, fool the public and uh, fool the agents, but your contemporaries and your colleagues, be honest with them. Going back to mentoring somebody, say, you know, yes, follow your bliss and be a magician if that's really your calling. But know this, it's a very competitive and it's an expensive business and it's a tough business. I think it's important to have not just mentorship, but I think it's important to – recognize that you know what this positive self-talk that you know what it's it's going to be okay we're, we're doing our thing it's okay if, if i ever get discouraged i always have to go back to little leslie at age seven years old to think that someday you're going to live in las vegas or work cruise ships or go to china and do these things it would have blown my mind and i always have to remind myself and and also my peers if you get discouraged always think about when you were a, a little boy or a little girl dreaming about doing a magic show and look at all you've done. And uh, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. That's a really great place to be is just being grateful that we have an opportunity to do what we love to do. Boy, here's a really big question. And that's uh, what advice would you have for young performers or, or performers that just, they don't, they don't have their sea legs yet. Um, or even professionals, what what would be some really good advice that you could give listeners? And, you know, we all have an opinion and we all have this thing about what we call advice. Sometimes it's unwarranted advice, but, you know, I think anybody listening to this podcast is, is pretty much open to advice uh, or should be anyway, right? I think we all should be there. But what advice would you give for for a performer? I would just say that Quit criticizing and being smug and elitist and and try to really mentor. That's my first piece of advice is the mentoring is so important. The other thing is to find a venue where you can go and and work on it. And that's the only way you're going to get better and proficient is just to crank this stuff out multiple times a day. Uh, It was written that since vaudeville is dead, there's no place left to be bad. So you're going to suck. You're going to be, it's going to be tragic for years until you find your footing, but you have to be, that's part of the process. And everybody wants to skip ahead to the bonus round and get that AGT contract. If I can interject, the only way to become better, it's about stage time, right? So speak to that. Well, I I think even like, you know, with Steve Martin's book, uh, Born Standing Up, he talks about, and, and even Jerry Seinfeld talks about this in stand-up comedy, which is very similar to magic and that we both have the element of surprise. But, you know, Steve Martin said that he could tell in a, a venue what joke was going to work, what to milk, what to go with, how to run with this gag or edit that as he's performing. Because he knew if the temperature were, it was 72 degrees and there's this many people in the showroom, this would work and that wouldn't. I mean, it was almost yeah. very scientific and and i think magic you're always and, and cruise ships are good for this too because you know you have the time where Lori and i go back to the cabin and we'd analyze the show and say you know I, i'd come up with a joke and it didn't it didn't land and Lori says don't ever do that joke again and and i'm like well maybe it was the placement maybe it should be right. said earlier in the show or maybe i need to punch right. up this part of it it's always a work in progress and i think it should hmm. always be like that we should always be looking for ways to streamline and and develop things you know we have the act and it's great to have all the material but then as time goes on just dump those gags and pieces of business illusions aren't working set them free get rid of that crap and Mm -hmm. work on the a material and i encourage uh your listeners to get joan rivers first autobiography is called enter talking And she talks about being on stage, about being the master or victim of the stage. And when you're the master and you got your, what I call getting your footing on stage, where you're comfortable and you know your material and your shoes are polished and you're, I mean, I'm old school. So, you know, your, your pants sure. are pressed and you sure. look good and you're, you're comfortable with your props. They're clean. They look good. Your routine is down. You're the master of your domain. You're the master of the stage. Sure. Now you can be the victim of the stage, which means that 
you're not really well rehearsed and you're sloppy and your confidence is down. You don't have enough rest. You're not eating the proper nutrients and you feel weak and the audience will smell that fear on you and pounce on you. So you have to dominate that audience. Uh And I think that's true in doing a magic show. And I think it's certainly true in doing your life that you have to have, you know, a great sense of who you are. And that's why when you're negotiating a, a price for a show or, getting a prop or whatever, you got to be confident and keep that vision, you know, of what you want. Yeah. And that's important is to look at yourself in the mirror and go, what am I all about? Am I funny? Do I, am I handsome? Am I going to be like a a romantic Lee, like Copperfield or am I balding and got glasses and overweight like Ab Dixon or what, whatever they do, they make it fit their personality and their persona. So you got to really analyze and be honest with yourself. And once you've done that, it's very organic when you perform for the audience because they're like, oh, this guy's comfortable in his own shoes. So I'll be comfortable watching him. Yeah. You know, it's like a 12 year old boy talking about, oh, you know, when I went to uh, India, I, I, I discovered the mysterious uh, mysticism of the levitation. Well, you're 12 years old. What do you know about <laughs> India or traveling? You know, right. Right. You got to make it, you know, right. uh, contemporary to, you know, your experience and your personality. Right. But that's pretty much branding 101, wouldn't you say? Ah, there you go. Uh, We're right back to you, brother. It's, it's you know, be be who you are, right? I mean, Doug, I mean, if you parallel the two when we talk about magic, because that's what this particular episode's been completely about is magic. If you were to parallel Doug Henning with David Copperfield, you'd see totally two different diverse totally different characters right and and that's okay i think it's okay i don't know <laughs> it, it's got to keep it's got to keep moving and evolving and uh yeah. i think of it kind of like you know if you if you listen to country music kenny rogers i think was an incredible artist first of all yeah. because he knew how to pick the material he knew how to pick hit songs mm-hmm. and i think again like i'm saying about editing your act or developing material you got to pick the great the great illusions. I mean, if you're if you're going to come to Vegas and you're going to do a sub trunk interlude in origami, look, it's been done. People are so savvy; they've seen that at the Omaha State Fair. You know, you have to say, what illusions am I going to pick, or what material am I going to pick that's going to make me stand out from everybody else? You know, that's the big thing. Copperfield was always good at picking material and choreography and the right prop. You know. And the right routining, and he's evolved. I mean, I, again, I don't know tip what he's doing at the MGM, but it's it's a complete different show than if you'd seen him in 1970. Like 1977, he did a show called Magic at the Roxy uh, with Peter Graves, the host, and he's doing the you know the girl to dog and the is, it, is, is that back in the that. day? Not to cut you off, but was that back in the day when he did uh, like the backstage illusion and all that? That yeah, that's in With the, in the book, and oddly the... enough, the uh, the version of the show I have is not, he's not performing the backstage, but he's doing really? the dancing cane oh, wow. and the aga. Oh, okay, but um, but I mean, if you look at what he did then versus what he does now, I mean, it's complete. You know, he's really kept up with the times. You know. Yes, he certainly has for sure. Here's something that I've realized with entertainers, and I don't mean this derogatory towards anyone in particular, but what I've noticed and I've realized over the years is that we are so in tune to our craft. You know, you talked about Copperfield evolving and things like that and how to structure a show. We get so involved in our craft that we have these blinders on when it comes to venues and different things like that. And it's, man, it's so important to know the lingo, whether that's lighting, sound, the stage in general, right? I mean, it's it's crazy what people don't know or what they won't put into practice or learn. I mean, you, you have to, right? You have to know the stage. You have to know blocking. You have to know upstage from downstage and stage left, stage right. Uh, little things that don't seem like they matter a whole lot, but they But it really, means everything when you get to a theater or a cruise ship stage and you're talking with a lighting designer and yeah. you're talking about, you know, changing a gel in a park can right. or I'm going to move downstage at this moment. You have to talk the language so that they yeah. can light. And present your show in the best possible way, but also so you kind of know, hey, we're in the same club. We're all theatrical here. Right. And when you use the language, it shows respect for the, the craft of theater, which you should have as a magician. Absolutely. But you'll have a much better show. If you show up and you don't have an idea of a light plot or you don't know proscenium from downstage or 
um, you know, anything. Or an N1. What's an N1? Yeah, an N1. You're, you're, you're going to be lost, yeah. you know. And What's an N1? And I, I encourage... have no idea. I've been 40 years oh doing God. this. I yeah, have no just... idea. Right. I, I, I guess the other point to that is is that people don't need to be necessarily scared of that to say, oh, my gosh, I don't, I don't know everything. Well, listen, we didn't know everything, what, 40-some years ago either. So, you know – you you start somewhere and you even start outside of magic and you just learn a little bit of it at a time. So I, I, I think that's the key because some of that, some of the things that we we're even talking about to my listeners might sound a little overwhelming. Like I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Or, or if we talk about stage lighting, you know, uh, an ellipsoidal or, or hey, give me, give me a special on the lighting. They might well, not have why, any, right. They might not have any idea what that means, but but that's why it's important to start out in a venue, uh, whether it's a, a theme park, a water park, or cruise ship, where you can just do multiple shows. And uh, entertainment director I worked with up in Vallejo, California, his quote was, "I'm going to do something even if it's wrong," and don't have a lot of pressure or expectations on your act. When you know, I start out with homemade props because I grew up poor. You know, casters are falling off, legs are breaking. Uh, the assistant came out with splinters stuck to her. I mean, there's just all sorts of horrible <laughs> things that happen. But you've got to go through that to to learn. For one thing, if something goes bad, and I've had a lot of things go bad in my life, sure. that you have to be able to cover it with a joke or a piece of humor or to know what yeah. to do. And also, when you're with your colleagues, you can't be like an angry ringmaster with your cast and crew. Be receptible, uh, receptacle to uh, uh, critiques and notes from the audience. Like I had a producer, sure, sure. I was trying to get the girl out of the glass sub trunk, and it was very awkward trying to scoop her out. And he, his family had been in the ice skating business, and he told me about something called a basket lift. He said, "Do you mind if I show you?" Well, yeah, come on up here, show me. Mm -hmm. And I've been using it ever since. So you have to wow. be open to the wow. possibility because people are, you know, the greatest compliment you can give somebody is to ask their opinion or ask for advice. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Uh, let's switch this up here just a little bit in conversation. And that's what do you think has been the greatest asset to help you with your marketing and your brand? And, and, and maybe you have the answer and maybe you don't. And, and either way is OK. But I, I think it's really important that we understand that is who we are as a performer who we are on stage, off stage, and how do we carry ourselves? What do we what do we do with that? What do you what how, how would you speak to that? What would you say? But I, I would say again, I'm very lucky in, in this regard that my wife is a very good photographer. Mm -hmm. And when you go to a photo shoot, what I do is like on a notepad, I'll with my little pen and pencil stick figures, I'll kind of draw out the composition or how I'd like the photo to be with the, the dancers or the prop or whatever. Good idea. And then idea. with Lori and my producer, somebody there that I have other eyes on it and other artistic inputs. So it's kind of like a, a stew, you know, I bring the stew meat and you bring the carrots and you bring the chicken broth or whatever, but we stew it all together and we kind of have an idea going into it, which is important. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that, that served me well is, you know, Madison Avenue, for, you know, if they're selling hamburgers or Rolex watch or coffee tables, they hire ad agencies and spend hundreds of millions of dollars with ad companies to come up with campaigns. Mm -hmm. So I'm always looking at advertisements for magazines and television commercials, and I keep a folder, I keep a file on my computer. If there's an ad, it could be for, you know, tennis shoes or something, but there's something about the composition, the colors they use, the font of the type that strikes me and I can't really articulate what inspires me about that logo or the, the mm -hmm. image or the kids playing in the park. And here's the coach. I don't know what it is, mm -hmm. but it's interesting to me. So I tear that out of the magazine and I put it in a file folder and I so keep you, it. You, you create a swipe file. Yeah. Okay. I go to all the you know bookstores and uh, eBay and I get posters, art books and 
things that just inspire me. And it's not necessarily magic related. Yeah. But again, I'm building on the shoulders of what ad agencies have been paid sure. millions, millions and millions of dollars for. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if you would call that stealing. I call it inspiration. No, I, I, I call that what, what I just said. I, I call that a swipe file where it's like, hey, it's like here are my thoughts, here are my ideas, and it's and it's not my ideas, it's somebody else's ideas, but it, it resonates with me. This is really great stuff. It's good content. Somehow it speaks to me. It might not, I might not even understand it fully, but I'm going to rip it out of the magazine or I'm going to print it off the internet and I'm going to put it in a folder because somehow it speaks to me and my brand. I, I think that's a great place to be because you can always go back and reference it. Because here's the other part to that, and and here's where, you know, it gets really geeky with branding and marketing. Really geeky. You could go back and study that and say, why did that work? What is the, you know, what is the premise of that? What what made that work? What made that speak to me? It's like the milk. You know, I think of the notorious things like Got Milk or uh, or or Nike's campaign. Right. Just do it. Just, just do right. it, which right. is so, really profound so, for anything. That we yeah. Do. It's like it's so stupid, but yet it's so simple. But yet it's so. And these companies paid millions of dollars to to make those campaigns happen. So I agree with you. It's like if you can take those things, if you hear something or you see something that speaks to you, rip it out, put it in a folder. Now, at the same time, I do have to say that you have to be very cautious in this because you absolutely have to make this your own thing. A swipe file was great and it triggers something in us, but it's really important to step back and figure out, you know, does that fit our brand? Is it, is it important to our brand? And obviously it was something that resonated with something that gave us a little bit of uh, inspiration, but you don't want to duplicate it. You don't want to just take it verbatim but you do need to get to the psychological level of it and say, how does that fit my brand? I think oftentimes we see something like that and we think we have to duplicate it. How do I know? Because I'm guilty of it from many, many years ago. I'm like, oh, I like that. And you almost take this piece verbatim. But we have to be careful in that area because, listen, these are people that – most people would consider competitors, but let me let me speak to that for just a moment as well about competitors. I always say this to my clients, and that is, you know what? You're really not competition with the guy that's next door that's doing these shows. Maybe he's in your maybe he's in your same market. Maybe he's like right on top of your market. Maybe he's actually saturated your market where you're not getting the shows that you want to do. I think it's important to you know, maybe you can't build an alliance with him. Try if you can and you can succeed. Great. Build a build a friendship with him. That's cool. But I think the bigger picture and the bigger thing that you need to understand is it's not about what can you get or take away from him. It's how are you so different than him in your skills and your talent and the things that you do that he can't do? You do the total opposite of what he's doing, I, uh, and it's amazing. All of a sudden, you don't become competition. You know, I don't know. I mean, let's face it. You're in you're in Vegas. So, I mean, I don't know how many magicians are in Vegas, but I'm sure it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and I'm sure it's many that want to perform at the same casinos, uh, maybe a casino that you're even at. And I just think it's really important. That when you find you and find out how you'll be vastly different by using who you are and the talents that you have, it's amazing what will happen. Maybe you won't get that particular gig. Maybe you won't get that particular casino. But I promise you this, when you find your market, it's amazing, amazing what will happen that <laughs> it's it's wide open that – Nobody can touch what you do because you have the corner or you have the market cornered. What do I and mean? There's nothing wrong right? with supporting or helping a, a supposed, you know, competitor. I mean, I was talking to uh, years ago, uh, Norm Nielsen about this, about helping other magicians. And he said that he would be working across the street in different nightclubs from like Johnny Thompson. Mm -hmm. And Johnny would call backstage and say, Norm, you know, I need a, you know, 18 inch white silk, you know, I'm 
bird pooped on this one. I need another. And, you know, he'd have somebody send it over, you know, to him to help him out, you know, but there needs to be more of that fellowship. I know here in Vegas, like I got a lot of friends who do cruise ships and, you know, they get a, a you know, their truck, you know, shows up with the props from the cruise ship and I'll go over and help them unload it and they'll help me unload props or what are you working on today? And, you know, you just kind of brainstorm these things. And when you give out that creative energy and input or something, it, it makes, it gets your mind and your juices flowing. It's good for everybody. Right. If you keep it like a secret hidden under your bed and you're not sharing it or giving it away, it's going to curl up and die, you know? Right. But, you know, you had mentioned, you know, Hey, I'll go over and help other people, whatever, you know, here again, these, these people aren't our competition. They might be in the same market, but they don't have to be competition for us. And, and they can be just as much allies as anything else. And, uh, yeah, because they can't do all the shows, no, and, you know, if, if, if you've been double booked and yeah. I'll say, Oh, I can't do this yep. festival or whatever. And I'll call my friend Billy and he'll go do it. Yeah. Yeah. And like I say, the, other, the, the, the bigger part of that is, is, you know, what talent is it that Leslie has that? Yeah. He's a magician. I'm a magician. So if you look at it that way, it's like, okay. You know, and, and maybe you're a better magician than me. That's fine. Okay, cool. That's cool. But we're still magicians. So now I'm still going to call you a competitor. And it doesn't have to be that way. I think when Leslie looks within or I look within myself and say, hey, you know, I have this special skill that I can also focus on and concentrate my magic on. Or I have this hobby that I can integrate. Or you know what? Because I had a career in this, I just talked to a, uh, a magician tonight that I'm going to be working with and coaching. And his background—I I won't say what his background is—but he has he has a special skill that, as he goes into retirement, he he has a part-time job doing this particular thing. And he's like, I think it would be kind of cool if I could take this particular thing and mix it with my magic. I'm like. And it worked out I, – I, here again, I don't want to say what it is, but it was perfect because it fits his mode. It fits who he is. It fits his skill level. And the cool part about it is, is not too many other magicians can touch what he does because they don't have the knowledge of his background in this particular field. And he can carry that over to be a motivational speaker, a corporate speaker, a corporate entertainer, what have you. And to me – those are the amazing opportunities in our branding. So when we talk about branding, it's not just a logo. It's not just this or this. It's pulling all these things together about who we are. That We are our brand. We live our brand every single day. And well, you, you and I know that there are thousands of guys out there and girls who are doing an act who never go to the magic convention. They're never in the magic magazine. But they make a very good living because they've specialized in something. Or uh, I remember my my dentist back in Nashville. I would build magic tricks. He would go to elementary schools and do talks about dental hygiene, mm-hmm. and I'd build props that he could use as object lessons. Well, you, there you go. That's a really good case in point about how you can use your skill set to set you apart. Uh, obviously, in his case, not everybody's a dentist, so. Uh, mixing that with that is just fabulous. So, yeah. Well, man, it's been really fantastic talking with you for sure. Where where do people find you? How do they get a hold of you? Yeah, um, I mean, I've, you know, I've got a website and I'm on Facebook and uh, you can email me through my website, lesliemckinneymagic.com. And, uh, you know, I'm accessible and for what little bit I know or if people want to talk, I'm, sure. you know, I'm willing to share because I was lucky that I had people share with me. Yeah, you know, guys like David Price. I'm so jealous. <laughs> well, I he was a a, a very you are so and lucky, remarkable buddy. man. You're very fortunate, and uh, I'm I'm happy for you that you actually had that. Well, so are you. You've had you some know. great encounters and everything. I have that, that, over the years. Know, that, that I have. Yeah, everything that we've have. landed on. You know, it's all little pieces of this, pieces of that. Yeah. Meeting that person yeah. and the timing yeah. and. You know, again, it's just being receptive when the opportunities happen. Most people go through life with their head held down looking at their shoes. But mm-hmm. but look up, and there's opportunities and people, yes, like I said, who are willing to mentor you, share, give you advice. They're out there. You just got to yeah. seek them out, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I don't know about you, but my goal at the end of the day is not so much about passing on the legacy as much as I am to say, what is it I can pass on to somebody else that they'll also take the same thing and maybe 
what little tidbit can they take from that? Can I inspire somebody? Can I help somebody? I just, I, I just think that's a wonderful thing. And you know what? Here, here's the deal. I don't, I, I know very little about magic. It's funny. After all these years, I still know very little about magic, even as a creator. And there are so many people out there that just know so much more. And I'm like, man, just to listen to them. Um, it, it's well, like amazing, I said, I mean, you know? when I think I'm hot snot and then all of a sudden I talk to like a Johnny Thompson or <laughs> right. Kevin James right. sure. and we're talking about some obscure magic trick sure. from 1928 in the Sphinx magazine. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, I got to brush up on my studies. Yeah, you know what's funny, though? What I find about those people, they're the same people that don't think highly of themselves either. I, 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 don't, I don't mean highly. They don't. They don't think of themselves to be better than somebody else. No, they're very, like, very they're just like, humble hey, you know, and very I'm, modest. I'm just going to give you what I know. And it's like, oh, well, thank you for that. You know, I remember meeting Andre Cole for the first time. I'm like, oh, my God, you're a legend. And and he just kind of looked at me and shook his head. I'm like, what do you Yeah, he's very, very bashful about He, he was. He was so bashful about the compliment. He's like, why are you so nervous about meeting me? I'm like, I you know, I don't know, man, sir, you're, you know, and I'm all tongue tied. I'm like, you're a hero. You know, yeah, I, I saw you and I mean, you know, you've done all this stuff. And I also know that you tre- you create, try to create a trick a day. I'm just all tongue tied. And it was just really cool to meet him. And I have to say that, you know, Andre, he just died on October 17th here in 2022 at 86 years old. And he was just, he was an inspiration and he was a true inspiration. He's one of the good ones, and so are he you. Is, yeah. And and when you're 85 and I'm 90, we'll visit again. <laughs> I hope so. I hope. I so. won't know who, who the hell you are, but I, I'll talk and you. likewise, I'll be like, <laughs> well, uh, uh, show me a trick or something. So, Leslie, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you taking all this time for myself and my listeners, and uh, it, it just means the world to me. So, thank you very much. Anything you want to say in closing? I just want to say, just keep fighting the good fight. You know, the, the, the bottom analysis, the, the foundation of everything we do, it comes from love. Yeah. Love yourself, love your audience, love your colleagues, and support and look out for each other. You know, that's it. Simple. Really good advice. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, young man. Well, there you go. That was my interview with my good friend, Leslie McKinney from out in Vegas, magician extraordinaire, and just an all-around great giving guy, as you could tell from the podcast. I want to thank him again for being on the podcast, and I want to thank you, the listener, for just tuning in uh, month after month and time after time just to listen to this. I hope you're gleaning a lot of great information from my guests and also a little bit about branding. So thank you again. Stay well, stay safe, and we'll talk next month. Bye-bye.